from India's largest newsroom I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast You start with some American nut then you throw in some flavored tobacco some betel nut and lime Finally, you add a dash of cardamom and some perfuming materials so that it has that sickly sweet smell. And that's how you cook up a good batch of gutka. While it may seem pretty simple on the face of it, the verdict in a recent Mumbai court case shows that the so-called secret formula for making a good packet of gutka was a closely guarded secret. However, it did make two men extremely rich. Rasiklal Manikchand Dhariwal and Jagdish Prasad Mohanlal Joshi were heading the biggest gutka selling companies when the product sales took off. Rasiklal Dhariwal, who founded the Manikchand brand, died in 2017 of cancer. But his one-time ally turned competitor J.M. Joshi, who made Goa Gutka, was sentenced on the 10th of January to 10 years in jail. Two others were also sentenced to 10 years in jail in the same case. In today's episode, We're looking at the long-winding case against Dhariwal and Joshi that started in 2004 and ended last week. We're speaking with the Times of India's Rebecca Samarwell about the trial and how one of India's biggest gangsters is said to have gotten into the gutka business. A quick history of the gutka industry. The sales of gutka took off sometime in the 1990s and by 2012 the industry was estimated to be racking up sales worth 20,000 crore rupees. This despite evidence that it contained carcinogens that could cause oral and other forms of cancer. By 2013, the sale of gutka had been banned in India. However, there are allegations that a version of gutka is still sold with ingredients being sold separately and requiring users to mix them. But in the 1990s when gutka sales were rising, Jaim Joshi and Rasiklal Dhariwal's companies were among the biggest players. Rebecca says that it emerged from court documents that Joshi initially worked for Dhariwal. J.M. Joshi, who later owned Goa Gutka, and uh, Rasiklal Dhariwal of the Manikchand Gutka Group, uh, they came together and they formed a company called the Dhariwal Tobacco Products Limited. Prakash Dhariwal, who's the son of uh, Dhariwal, uh, in his statement he said that um, Joshi was a director in the company till about ninety-five, ninety-six. Joshi was a specialist in compounding, that is, mixing of the flavors of the gutka. basically he was an expert in preparing the compound by mixing various flavors of perfumes and this kind of gave that special scent to a gutka he said that um, joshi joined his father and uh, he was initially being paid a salary then later he was also given stocks and shares in the company now a bit of history about the two men rasiklal dhariwal is said to have inherited his father's bd business that had just 20 workers but he said to have spotted the potential of the chewing tobacco business very early and moved into making gutka by the time he passed away in 2017 the manikchand group had diversified well beyond gutka into businesses like packaging roll of flour mills real estate wind energy and packaged drinking water on a website associated with the jm joshi group of companies jm joshi is described as someone who is continuously engaged in experiments with perfumery blending for three decades Joshi is cited as having a passion to create new flavors in chewing tobacco, pan masala and other products. Among the brands he is credited with helping create include Pan Shahi, Santoor, Manikchand, Star, Goa and Sikandar. So around the mid 1990s, Dhariwal and Joshi had hit upon this formula of gutka whose sales were phenomenal. 
But Rebecca says that court documents show that even as the Gutka brand grew, so did the differences between the two men. Now, somewhere in 1996, uh, they went their separate ways because there was a massive dispute between the two. Um, Joshi alleged that at the time of the company's inception, Dhariwal had promised that he would give him 10% shares in the company and subsequently this would be raised to 20%. Uh, so Dhariwal altogether owed him around 256 crore. Now the problem that Joshi said was that Dhariwal did not keep his promise and because of this, there was a massive dispute between the two. So when Joshi uh, repeatedly sought his shares, kept sending Dhariwal letters, Dhariwal refused to oblige. He did not even respond to the letters. Investigating agencies say it was this dispute that allowed the Dawood Ibrahim gang to make inroads with the two Gutka brand owners. When the dispute began, the Ibrahim gang was still influential in Mumbai. But Dawood Ibrahim and his associates were also wanted for their role in the 1993 blast in Mumbai that had killed 257 people. At the time, Ibrahim was said to be operating out of Karachi. According to the Mumbai Police and Central Bureau of Investigation, Dhariwal already knew someone linked to the gangster. Rebecca says that according to court documents, Dhariwal exploited that connection to end the dispute. Around 1999 is when the dispute was settled through the D company, uh, mostly through Anis Ibrahim, who is Dawood Ibrahim's brother. So in through that dispute settlement, actually Joshi was shortchanged. Joshi ended up being given only 11 crores. And so instead of 256 crore, all Joshi got, according yeah. to the Mumbai police, was 11 crore. Only 11 crores. Because initially what happened was uh, Dhariwal went to his connections in the D company. Uh, Antule, who is uh, Dawood and Anis's brother-in-law, was closely associated with Dhariwal. Dhariwal was already working for a company which was supposed to be a front for Dawood. And Antule was handling the operations of that company. So, Dawood, so Dhariwal knew Antule quite well. So when uh, Joshi refused to back off and kept demanding the money, um, Dhariwal went to Antule. Then Dhari, uh, Joshi was summoned to Dubai where Joshi was apparently also slapped and threatened, keep back off, stop demanding your share and just get on with your life. But uh, Joshi obviously was upset by this whole thing. He in turn then used his connections and he got through somebody who knew Anis for a very long time. He was like a childhood friend of Anis. Then Anis said, okay, fine, you, all you guys come to Dubai, we'll settle the matter. And in those negotiations, uh, to which there is a witness who also turned out to be another key accused in the case, whose nickname is Jumbo, uh, who was also sentenced to 10 years, uh, Jumbo in his statement says in that meeting, Anis and the other guys convinced Joshi to take only those 11 crores. While Dawood Ibrahim is a well-known gangster, this deal was largely said to have been brokered by his brother Anis. Rebecca explains just how important Anis Ibrahim was to the gang's operations. So Anis uh, is supposed to be almost like Dawood's right hand. Um, he has a very, very key role to play in the entire operations. He handles a lot of the day-to-day -day operations. Um, in India, he's wanted in more than 25 cases. Uh, this includes extortion, uh, drug smuggling, which was one of the core businesses from the 70s and the 80s. 
also for the 1993 serial bomb blast that is one of the main cases where he is uh, wanted currently um there have been several attempts made to get him back to india in fact anis was arrested in dubai where he's wanted in a couple of cases a few times the last i think reported case was also his arrest was in 2021 but somehow india never seems to get him back here um he manages to use his connections and go back to karachi where he is based uh, along with his brother and others in the d company in the opening scene of the 1972 classic the godfather there's a memorable line that the baker bonasera is told by the godfather after he accepts his protection someday another day may never come i'll call upon you to do a service for you that line has since become a cliche but in this case investigating agencies say that as soon as the dawood ibrahim gang resolves the dispute they wanted the gutka barons help with something else the dawood gang wanted to get into the gutka business in pakistan and wanted to set up a manufacturing unit in the city of hyderabad according to the prosecution dariwal was already connected with the gang rebecca explains the case against jm joshi so one of the key things that uh, they did was um they got five machines exported to karachi via dubai and this they extorted from two partners of a company in india and these partners subsequently became key witnesses in the case they were threatened anis called them up abused them on the phone uh, threatened them with dire consequences and got them to uh, export these five gutka making machines then joshi who was an expert with the chemical combinations and basically the manufacturing of the gutka the actual gutka recipe was the one who helped make the first a batch of the gutka and over time he also kidnapped for which he was separately charged and convicted in this same case an employee of his who on the pretext of being taken to a gutka manufacturing factory in bangkok for employment was taken to pakistan via dubai and confined there for 4 years uh, joshi trained him in how to prepare gutka gave him the recipe and set him up in the servant quarters there this guy was not allowed to speak to anybody in his family his family did not know what was happening with him initially subsequently he was allowed to come to india once a year but he wasn't allowed to tell anybody what he was up to and what he was doing in karachi apart from documents that the court relied on to reach its verdict this witness that rebecca just mentioned was one of the prime witnesses in the case in fact the defense lawyers in the case also alleged he was a very convenient witness since he seemed to have been that every major point in the case rebecca explains why this witness whose identity has been kept secret was so crucial in the case from the prosecution's perspective they obviously needed somebody who could give a blow by blow account of what was happening at the operation level they had jumbo uh who was who was able to tell them about the conspiracy the entire meeting that was held in dubai in 99 where uh joshi was convinced to take the money where the contract or the unofficial contract was uh signed up to set up the factories in pakistan but for further operations to show that in fact gutka was being manufactured that joshi was present in pakistan when uh the factory was inaugurated 
and to show that he also helped in uh, the first preparation of the gutka through his expertise and subsequently how they went about uh, you know manufacturing it selling it uh, bringing it into the market for all of that they needed somebody to kind of uh, testify and show that yeah the operations continued this is what went on so i think from that perspective this imp- this witness was very very important uh, to complete those chain of circumstances to complete the entire picture otherwise the max they would probably have gotten is that yeah the machines were exported a deal was cracked a settlement was reached but what next was the gutka actually manufactured they needed somebody to testify on that aspect but yeah. jm joshi's lawyers also had other strong arguments against the prosecution's case um, could you talk about those and what was the reason for the court to discard those arguments so jm joshi actually had a lot of ammunition in his defense because he tried to show that he legitimately wanted his share company that he was part of he was constantly making requests in the form of letters trying to communicate with dhariwal trying to get him to give him his money and he was shortchanged he was forced to take 11 crores when in fact he was owed almost around 250 crores so that was a significant point of what the defense focused on also the fact that the underworld connections came through dhariwal that it was dhariwal who first went and try to use his underworld connections to get joshi to back off it was only later that joshi then in turn used his wire wire connections to get anees to look at his side of the whole dispute so those were the key arguments that they used and basically they they tried to say that all this was done if it was accepted that it was done it was done under coercion and threat that he himself was physically assaulted in the first meeting in dubai he was slapped he was threatened with dire consequences that even anees had apparently threatened him the first time round so he had no choice but to do all of these things that when the d company comes calling you don't say no but the court didn't buy that it discarded it completely the court said you know they could have used a more legitimate means to settle the dispute like pradeep gharat the special public prosecutor in the case said that even if there was any kind of pressure from dhariwal joshi could have used the right means there was arbitration there were legal ways to settle the dispute he could have gone to the cops he didn't do any of that he went along with whatever the plan was and then spent so many years helping them develop a continuous source of income the very fact that these guys are not just smugglers and underworld dons they are fugitive terror accused for one of the biggest tragedies that has ever hit india it's because of the 93 blast case it's not just that their involvement in other cases like extortion and smuggling it's one of the biggest bomb blast so to be connected to people like that to give them a permanent source of income the court didn't look at it favorably at all it said of course you're allowed to do business with anybody anywhere in the world you can generate income for anybody but not for terror accused and both anees and tawud are wanted in the 1993 blast case rebecca says the slow progress of the trial did result in a lot of major developments 
वन ऑफ देम वॉज दैट मानिकचंद ग्रुप्स रसिकलाल धारीवाल डेड इन टू But she says the long-running trial also gave the prosecution some luck when it came to the case. A lot has changed. Primarily, Dariwal died. I mean, he died of natural causes, but one of the key accused is dead now, and that also happened because the case went on for that long. When the charge sheet was finally submitted in the case, the second charge sheet against the two Gutka barons happened only in two thousand and sixteen. by then both joshi and dhariwal were quite frail jo dhariwal in fact was brought in a wheelchair at that point a significant breakthrough that happened for them because the case was delayed one benefit that they got was another key accused farooq mansouri who was an, another 1993 blast accused and an absconding accused in this case was finally brought back to india in 2018 they arrested him and brought him back uh they got a chance to ensure that he stood trial with the other accused and he was also convicted for now jm joshi has been taken to jail and his lawyers have filed an appeal before the bombay high court rebecca says it's now up to the high court to decide whether joshi needs to stay in jail he has not got bail yet they will move high court and at the level of the high court if they find it uh, feasible for this point they might suspend the sentence pending hearing of the appeal an appeal can take several years like there are appeals which have not come up for hearing in the last 10 years accused has already finished serving his sentence because he was not giving bail so right now he has been taken into custody in the end Rebecca says that despite the length of the trial it's pretty significant that such a major personality was convicted she says the prosecution was also able to present a lot of evidence that helped it secure the convictions despite the fact that this case is so old we did get to see the judgment in our lifetime i mean a lot of these cases it was very difficult for the prosecution to gather these witnesses that way it was quite commendable on their part they also had a couple of relatives of dawood who deposed and uh, this case had some of the biggest noted criminal lawyers who also did a great job but uh, the evidence was stacked up against the accused they had lot of documentation that was available uh, tax papers all kinds of evidence so in that sense it was quite an interesting judgment effort the whole trial was quite significant in that sense that it actually came through eventually and led to the conviction of the accused Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips email us at tuipodcast@timesinternet.in